0: Are you an investigative professional? Did you know you can find the best private investigator resources using InvestigatorsToolbox.com? This resource community was built exclusively for licensed investigators and investigative professionals. You can network directly with members, educate yourself through free webinars and blogs, and even create your own customizable research library. Membership starts for as little as 49 cents a day. Download the Investigators Toolbox app or visit our webpage at www.investigators-toolbox.com. Is a good case management system keeping you from taking your business to the next level? Crosstrax is the premier case management system for the investigative community. They're the only SOC 2 certified case management software available. Visit Crosstracks.com, tell them you're a listener, and save even more. Get a plan in place for the new year to grow your business to the next level. Thanks for listening to PI Perspectives. Today, we welcome Jan Barefoot back to the program. We discuss how to investigate capital murder cases. Jan has over 30 years' experience handling these cases and is a wealth of knowledge. Please welcome Jan Barefoot and your host, private investigator, Matt Spare.
1: And welcome everyone to this week's episode of PI Perspectives. We are back live this week. I want to thank everybody for tuning in last week and listening to uh, what I thought was a great rerun, the round table of, uh, of investigators. But today we're back and uh, we're actually uh, having another uh, former guest back on who I promised we would have back on. I want to welcome uh, Jan Barefoot back to the program. Jen, how are
2: you? I'm great, Matt. How are you?
1: I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. Um, definitely it's uh, it's been a crazy few weeks and uh it's been uh just interesting with traveling <laughs> and all that and it uh yeah I was at the net conference and uh what a great turnout uh, it's great to see everybody
2: yeah uh, I hate I miss that but yeah. yeah I'll definitely make next one
1: yeah I think next one's going to be in Florida maybe St. Petersburg or Orlando okay yeah. when they said yeah think
2: Orlando yeah
1: Orlando yeah okay um and that was you know florida is florida and that time of year is is always a good time to go yeah um, so uh i know we had um rachel roberts on a couple episodes ago a while back and we were talking capital murder but but we were talking more along the lines of the importance of, of timelines and things like that and i wanted to come back on and just do more on on capital murder because there's just so many aspects of it and so uh so many different things that um that an investigator is important for and uh, you've got extensive experience on that. So I thought it would be cool to uh, to, to dive back into that. Uh, but before we get into all that, mm-hmm. tell me what you've been doing since we've been chatting.
2: Gosh, since we've been chatting, I've been just busy, you know, like you kind of all over the place. Um, you know, we're still growing our business, still adding investigators. We're expanding into South Carolina, um, just expanding our service lines, growing our digital forensics. Um Uh, Side of it. So it's been really crazy. Yeah. Which is good. You know, it's a good kind of crazy. I love it.
1: Right. Right. And I, we, we had done an episode a while back also about, uh, you know, expanding your business and when, when is it time to make that move? So right, I right. guess we're in that growth phase.
2: We are um, in it. Yes.
1: We were talking offline about the struggles of, uh, of labor. I think we, we all have labor pains these days, right?
2: Yeah, it is. It is. You know, I've been doing this now 36 years. March is my 36th anniversary and it's just always a struggle uh, to try to find good investigators.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, no one, uh, no one's going to do it as good as yourself. And uh, yeah, when you find people that do you, you do everything to hold on to them. Um, so that's Absolutely. good. Yeah, that's, that's good. I know uh, South Carolina has got an event coming up too in, in May, I believe as well, right? Scali conference.
2: Um. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that is coming up.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to make that one. I know I got invited to it. Um, I, I think I have a scheduling conflict. Uh, is it that's in Myrtle a, that's Beach. It's in Myrtle Beach. Yeah, Myrtle Beach. Yeah. yeah. Myrtle Beach again. I was there last year. They did a joint thing with Intelnet, and that was a lot of fun. Right, that was it was like the first live event coming out of COVID, so nobody yeah. knew what to expect.
2: Well, in Myrtle Beach is kind of uh, you know a different animal unto itself as well.
1: Right. Uh, so, for folks who don't know you, thirty six years experience. Just a, a brief overview of of what type of investigative work you do and and what your background is.
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, I started in, in March of 1986, so it's it's kind of hard to believe that it's been 36 years. And we do a wide variety, like most people. We cover the surveillance, plaintiff's defense work, um, background investigations. Um, I personally am doing a lot of Title IX cases right now, but I did spend, a, you know, a good 20 years doing primarily first degree in capital cases. Right. Um, I don't do them as much anymore because um, our state has decreased our indigent rate. So, you know, back a number of years ago, you could make a decent living doing it. Um, But they just kept decreasing our indigent rate. So I stopped taking indigent cases about six years ago.
1: So for folks who don't know what what that means, indigent, what exactly does that mean? Yes,
2: court appointed. So, you know, the court will appoint an attorney and then the attorney applies for, you know, funding for an investigator. And in North Carolina has always been fairly liberal with their their funding. But they've started uh, they started just setting hourly rates, you know, so they didn't just pay you your normal hourly rate. And then. A couple of years ago, they even started um, putting out guidelines on really what investigators could do. I mean, even to the point where, okay, you don't need to read all the discovery, read your witness statements. And I'm like, that's not, I can't properly investigate a case if you're going to tell me what I can read and what I can't read. So I think those limitations have really just hurt the, the investigative side of the defense bar here.
1: Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And for folks who don't know what Title IX is, can you uh, break that down for
2: them? So Title IX uh, was, I think, enacted in the late 80s. And really the purpose of it um, was to just make uh, male and female sporting events equal. You know, if you had uh, funding for a men's soccer team, you had to have a women's soccer team. If you had scholarships for men, you had to have scholarships for women. And so it, it obviously encompasses sexual harassment. Um, and, it, and the colleges have really just taken it to an extreme and are using it for, I've, I even have a case where they're using it for off-campus events. And so incidents that happened off-campus that with two students. And so um, I've done a lot of that recently. And unfortunately, it's just, there's just so much of it going on.
1: Right, right. We'll, we'll come back to that on another Okay. <laughs> Uh, you said it makes you angry. So I don't want to make you angry.
2: <laughs> I get angry because of the process, you know, the, you yeah. know, and when you're in court and you're in a trial, there is a process, you know, your client gets his, his due process, his or hers. And so you have an opportunity to present evidence, to ask questions. Right. Um, Title nine is way different than that. And so it's um it gets frustrating.
1: Yeah, for sure. I believe it. I believe it. Um Okay. So, um, let's, let's dive into uh, capital murder. Um, like I said, we, you know, we touched on it a little bit, uh, a few episodes ago, but, um, I wanted to get your perspective on it. Um, you know, it, soliciting that type of business, getting that type of business, and then, you know, following through, uh, to make sure that you're doing everything you possibly can. So, so break it down to me. How, how do you, how does one person who's interested in, in getting that kind of work, uh, feel like they have a knack for it to uh, really get into doing that kind of work.
2: I think the most important thing is, is that you have to, you have to get connected with a handful of attorneys. You know, it's got to start with one. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, you know, when I started, I had one attorney who I was very young, who just, you know, had a lot of faith in me and he was really an investigator at heart. So, he enjoyed the investigative side of it as much as everything else. And so I was able to just work alongside him, you know, just doing case after case, after case, all he did was court appointed indigent work. And so uh, I just learned so much, you know, from him. So I think if you get an attorney that you can work closely with and then go from start to finish, you know, from the time that you were appointed on the case, and see it through to either a plea or trial, you know, trials are, are great. They give you the most experience because you do actually get to see, you know, the fruits of your labor. And so I think that's, that's just how you have to get started. You've just got to find an attorney that's going to have some confidence in you based on whatever experience level you have at the time, and then just be willing to learn and just be a sponge.
1: So where would you find these guys like bar association events, you know, your typical, uh, yeah, yeah. Control I mean, the um, criminal courthouse handing business cards out like how do you do this? You
2: know i mean you laugh about that but in the in the late 80s and early 90s you know before internet yeah this is no this is true it's a true story if i needed a case i would go to the courthouse and i would walk you know i would act like i was going to the clerk's office and i would see five people hey jen i got a case for you call me next week yeah. so really um so how would you find that you know if you're if you're county um, or area has um, a public defender's office, that might be a good place to start because a lot of the attorneys that come out and, and start doing indigent work come from the, the public defender's office. So you just can get connected that way. Right. If you have an, a defender's office that's uh, large enough that has investigators, you could kind of reach out and make that connection there. Sure. Um, so that could be an option, you know, Invite them to lunch. Most attorneys will go for a free lunch. And then once you get to know them, that can, that can blossom from there.
1: You know, it's interesting. I, in New York here, they got to a point point. this is all pre COVID where uh, law firms were starting to have policies that uh, vendors, folks like you and I were not allowed to bring lunch into their employees. I guess who was getting to be like too much too uh, out of hand or everyone's like getting fat to know all, all these catered lunches that were coming in. Uh, yeah. That, that I mean a bunch of my clients, they're like, yeah, we, we're not doing that anymore. It's not allowed, right? Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, lunch and learns are great. I mean, it's definitely a great way to get your your name and um, you know, just get in front of them and just kind of talk about your services. Sure. But um, yeah, it really in in my experience in the criminal defense world, it really only takes one. Yeah. You know, once you get one attorney and you have a, a successful case and they see how you work and they see that you're thorough and that you're ethical. And that you're, you know, you you know a lot, you're experienced, but you're willing to learn more. Then I think that person's going to tell somebody else, and they're going to tell somebody else. So it's going to grow from there.
1: Yeah, that happens a lot, where you know attorneys lean on one another for resources. Absolutely, uh, and that 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 is a real deal. And even going back to the the whole lunch thing. So you know, bringing in lunch is pretty much a dead end now. But what's not a dead end is um, the concept of of doing training via Zoom for employees. So like you right. know, some of the things that we, we do, we offer, um, you know, Hey, you know, we'll come on we'll talk to your staff, you know, for 35, 40 minutes, you know, grab a couple of red wells, some cases that you're having trouble with and let's, let's yeah. talk about them, you know, free of yeah. charge, you know, like, yeah. hey, you know, let's just spitball all these things. And, and if we can help you, that would be great. Right. So like that type of concept um, I, I seem to find is working pretty well. Um, with the stuff and you know i'm not having all that extra caloric intake so yeah
2: yeah and i truly love brainstorming so i mean i tell attorneys all the time you know just if you have, have a case and you just don't know if it's an investigation worthy um you know just run the facts past me i'm happy to just kind of talk about it talk through it we may come up with ideas together maybe we can help maybe i can point you in another direction
1: sure Okay. So we're going to jump out and take a quick break. And when we come back, I really want to dig more into the whole process of capital mur- murder case and how that works. So we, we talked about soliciting business here, but let's take it a, a step further. You've got your first client or, you, or somebody who's uh, you know willing to give you a shot you know, and what that looks like. So everybody sit tight and we will be right back.
0: The creative professionals of Redline Forensic Studios come to work every day with one goal in mind, to create credible and compelling visuals that help you win tough cases. Redline services such as Video Enhancement and Animation are the critical assets you need to leverage your case. Visit the website today at RedlineForensic.studio, that's RedlineForensic.studio. I want to talk to everybody
1: today about ScopeNow.com. ScopeNow has been a big time sponsor of this program for quite some time and I just love their service. I've been using them since the beginning. I'm one of their beta customers and it's been so awesome to see them grow into the business that they are today and just how they just keep reinventing themselves and pushing themselves to get more and more information. What it comes down to is is ScopeNow is a tool that you definitely need to use if you do social media investigations, any internet research, and really spending less time digging around and and looking for information, I think is one of the best points of how ScopeNow can help you. Their AI platform, their analytics are amazing. You really get an idea of what you need. You're reducing the time, you're reducing the manpower that you're spending. On doing this research because they're essentially doing it for you and uh, they're doing it correctly which is most important one of the new things that they're actually offering is this flagging system where you can flag behaviors and really highlight and um, look out for fraud if you're doing a lot of fraud research uh, this is a fantastic tool and you can set up alerts so you have a uh, particular people that you're looking at you can actually set up alerts to get notifications when the criteria that you set up is actually um, His flagging goes off it's really uh really amazing and their relationship and association analytics are uh, top-notch really uh cutting edge and really really cool when they brought that out on version 3 it was a game changer i mean really being able to see how people interact together and, and uh you know having that relationship you know analysis is really really something that's cool You know one of the other things about being involved with scope now is their ability to offer webinars their team is cutting edge on putting together and getting out really really great content if you're a member of scope now if you know who they are you've seen them around on linkedin you'll you'll know that they're constantly doing webinars on these new websites that are coming out and uh, they're really staying on top of it and don't forget uh, any reports that you generate you can actually white label those reports and put your own logos on and, and really make them look professional which you know could equate to more billing you as well. So check them out today. It's uh, www.scopenow.com. They're a great, great company. They should be one of the tools in your toolbox along with whatever kind of uh, search engines you do. Uh, you need to make sure that Scope Now
0: is a part of that. Sweet. ScopeNow.com. Check out the PI Institute of Education at PIinstitute.com. Since 1989, Kelly Riddle has been teaching on subjects such as surveillance, nursing home investigations, insurance fraud, domestic investigations, hidden assets, and accident scene investigations. The PI Institute of Education is a featured learning partner in the TheInvestigatorsToolbox.com. So check out the free content on the site, then visit the Institute for more great savings on additional classes. Are you in the New York metro area and are looking for work? Satellite Investigations is currently looking for a full-time field investigator. Visit Matt's profile on LinkedIn for more details and the links in the show notes. Good luck. Check out the latest issue of PI Magazine, available online or via hard copy.
1: And welcome back to PI Perspectives. This is Matt Sperry, your host. Today, we are joined by Jan Barefoot. Jan, welcome back to the program. Thanks. Yeah, so great having you back. I love chatting with you. Uh, it, it's so hard to turn the recorder on when, when we start chatting, <laughs> because I'm like, oh, I want to catch up. And then next thing you know, Right.
2: 15, yeah.
1: 15, 20 minutes, it's like, okay, we lost a lot of good material here. but <laughs> <laughs> let's Yeah, get going.
2: I, uh, yeah I, that happened with me on a podcast last week, or pre-interview podcast. They were like, man, we should have been recording. <laughs>
1: and you talk too much (laughs) that's the problem (laughs) right um okay so capital murder we you know before we took the break we talked about how to solicit those type of cases and um you know where to go and and how to kind of get into it um but let's dig in a little bit further let's let's talk about now you know you've got the case now so where do you where do you start
2: well, uh, I think you start by seeing the client. You know, I feel like that the that one of the most important things that you can do in a capital murder case is develop that relationship with the client. Right. And frankly, sometimes the attorneys don't do that. Um, you know, if you've got a great attorney, you're gonna you're just gonna find. All levels of attorneys that once you get into this kind of work, you know, there's going to be some that really establish that rapport with the client. There's going to be some that, um, you know, only visit them twice in a year. Yeah. And then I took it upon myself when I saw that the attorney was not establishing that relationship. I would cultivate that relationship more because in that way, the, you know, the client trusts you. And, you know, frankly, I feel like they deserve that, you know, they deserve feedback. They deserve information from their defense team. Um, And so I just felt like that that was the right thing to do. So I feel like visiting the client, just, you know, starting to gain that uh, their trust, starting to gain, you know, just to cultivate that relationship with them.
1: Mm -hmm. So a, a tip right if you want to do this stuff get get a, a pass that gets you into jail yeah uh, so in new york right. they called an attorney pass but uh you, you can get as an investigator a pass and it's a bit of a pain in the butt you got to renew it every year um and i know like i don't go into jails a lot but there are times where we've had to do it uh, i think the last time i was there there was some sort of avian bird flu that was floating around in there I was like oh great fantastic here we go yeah
2: I mean every jail is different I yeah. mean I've been in jails that are you know I, where I'm actually meeting with the client in the kitchen because they don't yeah. have a, a you know a meeting area and you know sometimes you can't have a contact visit I mean I do feel like contact visits if your jail or your facility allows that it doesn't have to be every time that you go see them but I do feel like that it's you know, it's a good thing to have a contact visit with them where you sit down and you just really give them the time that, that, you know, that they deserve to yeah. kind of talk about their case and, and hear about what you, um, what you're going to investigate.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I recently was watching that inventing Anna on Netflix, just like every other investigator out there. I was like, are we going to watch this, this, this movie on fraud? Right. And, uh, I had to chuckle a little bit when, when the, the character was going to see this, uh, fraudster, in Rikers Island. Cause I, I know what it looks like. Yeah. I, I know the whole process uh, and you know, the waiting for the boss and, and, and all that. And I just, I had a giggle a little bit because you know just going through it but then when when they got there i'm like oh man it doesn't look like that on the inside it doesn't like the functionality (laughs) is not that way it's like it's more dramatic the way they're doing it but it's not really yeah it is so yeah
2: i always worry when i get like central prison in raleigh is our most secure maximum secure and i always worry that the power is going to go out because all the doors are powering i'm like i hope you have a ginormous generator here
1: (laughs) i did a a federal uh jail in brooklyn once i broke in new york and uh it was uh it was intimidating definitely yeah it was different yeah and you know, like yeah the case involved like our client getting attacked in jail by other inmates and like the CEO is allowing it to happen oh wow and it's like oh great they're gonna see me with this guy here and they're probably gonna decide to go another round <laughs> yeah i'm gonna get caught in the middle <laughs>
2: while you're there <laughs>
1: i'm like great someone please shoot me now yeah that's funny <laughs> so uh so yeah it was it was there so yeah j- just a tip right M- yeah. make sure you have the credentials to get where you need to go to do that that kind of work right so um it will require you to make uh, visits. And and you're talking about um, you know, rapport, right? Just getting that rapport established with, with the client. So, yeah. um, you know, it's one thing to go through files and examine evidence, but it's another thing to have that personal relationship, which is uh, definitely key, I would think, right?
2: Yeah. And I feel like, you know, it is important for them to know that you're working for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, once you initially meet them, of course, you know, usually it's an it's a meeting with the attorney that's that's the way i typically worked is the the attorney and i would go see them together the attorney would make the introduction and then you know we'd kind of go from there but of course you know you've got to have discovery um you know sometimes i would get cases pre-discovery and so well, we would have very little information but at least we would kind of we we would know the scene we would know the major players and um whatever information we had initially before getting discovery, we would still go with it. You know, we'd go out to the scene as quickly as we could. Um, And that's, you know, that's another thing that I feel like is important with regard to attorneys. Again, you're going to have some that are just very hands-off. I mean, I've worked with attorneys um, from uh, one handing me uh, a piece of paper, a witness statement in a murder case saying here, go interview this witness. And that's all they gave me. And I said, you know, I kind of need more information than that, but I've worked from from that level to an attorney who wanted to go interview every witness with me. And it wasn't because he didn't think I was capable. He primarily let me do the interviewing, but he wanted to lay eyes on the people. You know, he was one of these these attorneys that needed to get out there. He needed to see it. He just needed to hear it for himself. And so I think as an investigator, It's up to us to try to find the balance. We've got to we've got to let the attorneys know what we need to do our job, but then we also we also need to let them know how to how to work the case as well. I mean, it's just an integral part. Um, In fact, I was talking with a a mitigation specialist yesterday that I hadn't talked to in about fifteen years, and I worked with her extensively in the nineties and early two thousands, and she's complaining because the investigators that she's working with now. She would say, are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And they would say, no, they haven't told me to do that. Right. And, and that she said she got that from two or three investigators. And so she was like, go investigate the case. You know, you're the investigator. If you have funding limitations, then certainly you've got to discuss those and get some direction and maybe prioritize things. But don't be afraid to talk with the attorney and say, hey, these are these are ideas I have. Let's prioritize. And, you know, what do you want? what do you want to see me do first? And then let's see where that leads us to.
1: Yeah. And I think taking that approach, I mean, it, it's just a win-win for everybody, right? You're, you're managing expectations. You're, you're letting them make the call on what they want, how they want to spend their budget. Um, it, it It's something that's well recommended. I mean, even, you know, I don't think criminal cases, but on the personal injury side, same thing, right? When we're taking witness statements, like what's yeah. your angle, what are you going out here? You know, like what's your theory what are you hoping this person says? Like that kind of stuff. And it's like, you think they're silly questions, but they're really not because, right. you know, it could really set things up and uh, it creates that comfort level. Right. So the attorney says, wow, Jen really knows her stuff. Right. She's, she's there and she's asking these questions and, and, you know, uh, I hired the right person. Right. You want somebody who's going to ask those questions.
2: Exactly. exactly. Instead of somebody
1: that's just bulldozing and saying, oh, I do it the way I do it and and live with it. Or I don't do anything because I'm total totally gunshot shy to, to pull the trigger on anything. I don't want to screw this. Yeah, thing yeah. It, it makes you look less professional. I I, I guess would be the, the the way to put it, right?
2: Well, and you know you don't want to be a taskmaster. You don't want to you don't want to be given a a task to do and go do it and come back. That's not a good investigator. You're not using your investigative brain if you function that way. I mean, like on the cases that I worked. I mean, I worked with the mitigation specialist as I just mentioned. I were if we needed a crime scene uh, expert, you know, I worked with them. I would meet them at the scene, and so you have to be in order to be effective. You have to be an integral part of the defense team. It's right. it's not you're not just the investigator. You are part of the defense team, right? Yeah. And you ha- you need to think like that.
1: Yeah, and you got to be able to to articulate and share evidence. Yeah. And And, and don't
2: be afraid to tell the attorneys, you know, I don't, I don't really like that idea. I mean, it's their call, you know, Mm -hmm. they're the ones that are going to be trying the case, but the attorneys that I worked with, they really liked getting feedback because they're attorneys and you can pretend to be uh, a juror. You know, you're just a layman. You're not, you're not a practicing attorney. So you can give them feedback that, that they should appreciate. Yeah. And then it's their decision, how, what they do with it, whether to work on it and then you could say, yeah. <laughs> right. <You
1: know? laughs> right. Especially on these murder cases,
2: <laughs> you know, it yeah. is, it is a lot, um, you know, certainly capital is much more pressure than, than first degree. Yeah. Um, and then you have certain clients that you feel like, you know, maybe, maybe they're guilty, maybe they're not guilty, but that, that you, it just, you tend to put a lot of pressure on yourself. In fact, I know several of attorneys um, who have just stopped doing, first degree and capital cases, because it is, it is a tremendous amount of pressure
1: So for for folks who don't realize what what is the difference between a capital murder case and their first degree murder case.
2: So when you're charged, you're, if you're charged with first degree murder, then the uh, district attorney or your prosecuting attorney's office will then make a determination whether they are going to seek the death penalty. So that makes it a capital case. And so in North Carolina, when it's a capital case, it's automatically has two attorneys. Mm -hmm. um, And then you, you typically qualify for more funding for expert witnesses and mitigation specialists and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm.
1: Have you ever had a situation where you've been told no from more funding?
2: Um, hmm. Not that I can remember Uh, federal some. Yeah. But, and back in the early two thousands, up until I stopped doing state uh, court appointed work, um, it was rare, especially on a capital case. Right. Um, so on a capital case, there, you, you can, know, you, you may you have to
1: think that they could overturn something, right? You, this person didn't get their, you know, uh, due diligence that they're entitled to. You know, their that that you know, I I guess you would have to prove that that whatever they denied you would would be something that would really important. Um, yeah,
2: I mean, and you don't you don't have to let the the funding people know what you're using your money for exactly. I mean, you certainly present invoices and so they're able to monitor that, but as long as the attorney, you know, says, "Okay, this is something we really need to investigate and we need more money and here this person has a track record of being very efficient, you know, with her time." Right. And so yeah, they typically will will just give you what you need.
1: I would think the specter of due process <laughs> would just be too much for them. it's not like they're writing the checks right so yeah uh, as long it's like uh yeah i gotta rent this maserati to make sure i fit into the right location to get the information yeah Yeah.
2: for sure for sure um but you know honestly in north carolina um they they have slowed down i mean they were pretty aggressive with death penalty seeking the death penalty in the the late 90s and early 2000s um i don't think we've had anybody executed in maybe nine or 10 years. So, I mean, we do still have people on death row. Um, I think I mentioned earlier when I was on about the the case I had last year uh, where um, we had an MAR filed motion for appropriate relief um, because the trial attorneys didn't do, you know, their job and this guy got death and we ended up actually walking him off of death row uh, last June. So that was.
1: Uh, when did that summon in the movie, Jen? And who's that's the question? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah,
2: that was um, you know, it was a it was a great feeling, but it was um sad in many aspects. It was a 1984 uh, murder. He was charged in 2004 with uh, I think I'm right on the the dates with uh, from a DNA hit and uh, tried in 2009. So all this time you know he's been he's been up there with lots of delays lots of appeals and um finally got the right attorneys that were handling it and got in front of a judge and through just a series of a lot of things um he ended up getting to getting to walk out
1: that is crazy yeah (laughs) it's just absolutely crazy yeah you don't you don't think this stuff happens in real life you know like oh it's, it's, it's a movie so you know like yeah. We just watch movies cause they're entertaining. It's a good story and all that, but you know, Yeah. But it's, well, and, know.
2: and, and part of that was, you know, um, a very inexperienced trial attorney. I mean, he had, he had sat second chair for, uh, one, one prior case and, um, he just, this case was, it was too much for him. He didn't know how to handle it. And, um, So that was a big reason why, you know, the MAR got filed. And then another reason was, um, you know, uh, prosecutorial misconduct. I mean, there was some some information that was not disclosed in Discovery. And I I don't know if you know, but once you file a motion for appropriate release, then you get the entire district attorney's file, not just Discovery. You get their entire file, which is interoffice memos, you know, notes, And so in those documents, we found um, information that they had known that a rape kit had been uh, destroyed and had not disclosed that information. So you know just it was a series of events that just um you know happened unfortunately so why
1: are you only mad about title nine cases i mean that would be infuriating <laughs> to me well, working it, that kind of stuff if, if i found it, out some evidence was destroyed
2: <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah anybody that was working with me during that time around 2009 knew about that case because um the uh i mean it's public record i'll just tell you the events so the the trial attorney there was a there was a third a potential for third party guilt where a witness said, you know, yes, I saw the guy at their house and um, I heard him say, you know, I'm not going to do it to you, but I'm going to get somebody to do it to you because he owed the guy money. Right. So I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, that's a good, that's a good Avenue to go, go after this guy with sure. third party guilt. And the attorney was like, oh, I don't really know about that. Well, as it turned out and, and I knew this then, the attorney had represented that guy a couple of years before oh on a my federal goodness. court.
1: <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> and so
2: I, you know, I said to him, I was not afraid to say to him, You have a conflict in this case. It is recoup- it's problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, this is a problem. <laughs> you need to go after this guy. And he was like, Oh, he's not a killer. <laughs> and, um, and I testified at the MAR and, and the DA asked me, She said, in your opinion, you know, what, um, what effect did it have? And I I said, I asked her, I said, you're asking me for my opinion. She said, yeah. And I said, it is, it is my opinion that he did not pursue third party guilt against him because he had previously represented him. And I felt like that. I really felt like that he was afraid of him. I mean, he was not a nice dude. And um, that was my testimony.
1: Wow. (laughs) That's true. I mean, and, and, and I
2: had voiced that opinion to another attorney who was sort of a, a mentor um, during during the time, I said, I don't I don't know what else to do. In hindsight, there probably was people higher up that I should have gone to to voice right. my opinion. But, um, yeah, it was problematic. So you can't always assume that your attorneys know what they're doing in capital cases. Yeah. If you feel like something's not right, then maybe you can consult, you know, with another attorney without naming names or consult with someone out of state to say, hey, OK, this doesn't quite sound right you know, talk me through it or even talk to the attorney. I, I don't understand. Why aren't you doing this? Kind of ex- explain this to me. And that does help you learn. It helps you learn case law. It helps you sure. learn. You know, I learned a lot about third party guilt and what was required to prove that during that situation.
1: Right. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. And, and you factor in, you know, like somebody's life, <laughs> you know, it's like, really, man, you're not going to rec- recuse yourself. That's uh, that's, yeah, that's pride. It's yeah. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. that's really not a good thing, definitely. Um, but, you know, you, you definitely do see it though. Um, you know, fake until you make it with some attorneys, like just cause they passed the bar doesn't right. mean they're a good trial attorney. It doesn't mean they're right. They know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, I think that's a, that's a really good testimony to you. Just, uh, you know, finding the right words to to tap in and say something when he goes. Right. You
2: know? And then with that, you know, I would say definitely one of the key things, especially in a first degree and capital case is really document your file mm-hmm. because, you know, when you're, when the appellate attorneys get, get into the case, I mean, sometimes they get the attorney's file. Sometimes the, you know, it might be five years later, the attorney says, well, I know I didn't keep that file. So sometimes the investigator and the mitigation expert is the is the place to dig and find information, right. and so I think keeping a, a neat and tidy file and keeping it documented really well is really important. I would always, um, you know, I would always start my file with um, with a witness list. I would do an Excel spreadsheet with a witness list, and as I go through discovery, you know, I would list the particulars about the witnesses, and then I would do just a really quick summary of what they are, you know, what they saw or how they're important to the case. And, you know, I mean, I had in that case in 2009, I had interviewed about 75 people. So I had a lot of, a lot of information, a lot of notes and a lot of data. Right. And so, you know, I create a file folder for each witness. And then in that folder goes my, my notes, um, the criminal background that I did on them, if it's necessary, you know, my research to find them, um, you know, everything goes in each witness file. So, I think it's important to create a, a nice, neat, tidy, fully documented file because you, in those cases, you don't know ever when it's going to, when you're going to need it. So. Yeah, you
1: may need it later. I mean, you, you got to have methodology. You know, yeah. I'm always so amazed talking to folks like yourself or, or Kitty Haley and, and all that. Like how do you take on these monster cases, interviewing 75 people and all that? Like, how do you get your other work done? Like, where do you find the time, you know, to, well, to, to have, to work on your other cases too?
2: Well, I mean, in in North Carolina at the time, it was a two to three year process to get to trial. Mm-hmm. So I mean, in in at the top of my capital um, game, as you cu- might call it, I probably had fifteen cases at a time. And so you know, sometimes there's lulls in cases, just like all the other cases that you work. That there's not anything that needs to be done. There's not anything that's going on. Then you might get an additional, you know, piece of discovery, additional witness statement. You need to go interview that person. Right. And then, of course, as you get up for trial, then you know you've got to start with subpoenas and that kind of thing. Um, and that that's another thing that I did with with my ad- attorneys is, for the most part, you know, I did all the subpoenas. I mean, they they either signed them or gave me permission to sign them but right. you know that's one thing that they didn't have to think about so i know the the discovery really well i know whose phone records we need to get i know you know, if we need to get cell site information. And I even have, I mean, I have go-bys for motions and orders for that kind of thing. And of course they sign them and they read them. So I'm not practicing law, but for the attorneys that are really busy, you know, that can be really helpful is that I can say, okay, we need to get this person's phone records. We need to get this person's cell tower records. So we need to find an expert to, you know, review, you know, the cell site location to see if what the government has come up with or the state's come up with is accurate.
1: Right. right. Don't worry. I think we're past any statute of limitations. It should be okay.
2: (laughs) Oh oh, yeah. (laughs) Right.
1: Nobody saw you sign any attorney's name. No, (laughs) No.
2: I mean that, that, those are attorneys. I mean, I'm certainly not telling you to go out and do your own on subpoenas and issue them. You know, they're attorneys that i have have a really close working relationship with and I never did anything without their okay so I I might prepare it email it to them or back then you know some other method but and then get their approval and then say yeah send it on (laughs) what
1: we're just making jokes here
2: yeah (laughs) right
1: Uh, definitely definitely follow I'm just I think
2: what's what I'm just trying to say it's really important just don't be a taskmaster you know get in the case and you, let your gut tell you what to do next. I mean, if you know you should go interview a witness and funding is there and there's no reason, the, you know, if the attorney tells you no, then of course you're not going to do it. But you just need to get embedded in the case and just yeah. really know it inside and out and just use your skills in all aspects. It's not only about witness interviews. I mean, it's just not. I mean, again, I've gotten crime scene experts involved. Um, You know, I've met with them, and then that takes me to something else. Again, mitigation, because I usually know the client's life pretty well, you know, I can interact with the mitigation expert to see, okay, how else can we benefit from mitigation work? And, you know, some mitigation um, experts will only interview witnesses, some won't gather documents. And so, in my case, my mitigation expert didn't really like to do documents. And so I would do that for her. And so, you know, I would, I would get the documents, I would send copies to everybody. And then she goes to talk to family members, you know, she's the psychology side of it. So she would handle that side of it.
1: Um, Did did you ever find yourself, I mean, it would make sense for you to serve subpoenas on, on witnesses, you know, people you've interviewed already, you've got the rapport, right. Uh, You know, making sure that they're, they're going to actually show up when you need them. Yeah, um, did, had you ever find yourself doing trial prep with him, maybe going over the statement and just refreshing their memories and and yeah. making sure that uh, when they show up, they're going to say the same thing they told you maybe a year or two earlier.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, definitely. I would probably just call it uh, a re-interview. Uh, you know, just to to kind of have them go through the story again. And if there's key, I don't, you know, it's really important to me that you know I don't do anything to um, change someone's story or twist it you know that's we could walk a fine line honestly because about it, how suggestive you can be i mean we've seen we've seen law enforcement do it right? right you know it's like oh really you know didn't you do this and so for me and i think for all investigators it should be just really important not to do that but i feel like it's okay if you remind them Well, i remember last year when we spoke you did talk about you know this, you know, this red car. Do you, do you remember that now? And sometimes they might say, no, I don't remember that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in that situation, you know, they could use me as sort of a rebuttal witness, you know, they weren't lying. They just didn't remember it because it had been one or two years later.
1: Yeah. Sometimes that happens. Yeah. So we're going to wind down here. Um, and Janet, it's always great to have you on. I mean, I feel like I just could do hours. <laughs> you know, just... I know.
2: I feel like I just got wound <laughs> up. I could keep yeah. going.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, So let's, let's finish on, on maybe some of the common mistakes that you've seen investigators or people that try and get into this line of work make over time uh, doing this.
2: Well, again, I think the, the, the taskmaster, you know, the, just don't be somebody that's going to, that's a, that's a mistake. I think sometimes they're just not afraid to give their opinions. I think they're afraid to give their opinions to attorneys. And I think they shouldn't be afraid to do that. I mean, if the attorney doesn't like it, you know, it's fine. You still go do your, your job as good as you can. But right. I think the attorneys do appreciate a, a sounding board, especially those who don't have co counsel if it's not a capital um, case, or maybe those sole, sole practitioners that don't have somebody to just kind of bounce things off of. So I think that's really, really important. Um, I think in, in North Carolina, we are one party consent. And so I record everything. Yeah. Um, so I think that if you are in a state that you can do that, I feel like that that's important. Yeah. Um, and I've had, I've had that save me, uh, multiple, multiple times for people yeah. who would say stuff like, uh, she told me that she was working for the police department yep. or she told me that she was working for the FBI, yep. you know, um, and, you know, just, it's not true. And so, um, you know, I think recording if you have that ability in your state is really important. And I think just having an organized tidy file, I think a lot of people lack those organization skills. And I've gotten files from other investigators or even new investigators that I've hired on, um, you know, that I would see their file. And I'm like, that's not, that's not, it's not what we want. You know, this is what <laughs> we want. And I, and I actually, there were cases yeah. that I actually saved my file that I knew, you know, it was a plea and I knew it would not ever have an appeal, but I saved my file. So new investigators who came in, I could show them this, this is a neat and tidy, complete file.
1: Yeah. And having some sort of case management software, you know, um, yeah, I'm partial to my sponsors, but (laughs) I know you are. Yeah. But there, you know, (laughs) do your, do your research and, uh, you know, get a good case management system because it, it really helps you stay organized. And, um, you have that interaction back and forth with the attorneys too. you know, if they have access to it, they can give you directions through it and, and you have record of everything. Right. So when you do right. have to go back a year or two later, it's like, man, I've worked on thousands of cases. I can how do I, how am I supposed to remember all this stuff? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, it's very helpful.
2: And don't ever, I, I would say on a first degree or a capital case, especially just never discard your file. Um, oh, yeah. Just yeah. never, never discard it. No matter what you think, it might be ten years. Just don't get rid of it. Just store it somewhere. Um, I, I had, I did have a case where the attorney had discarded or either lost, somebody lost his file. I don't, I don't know which one uh, had happened, and they relied on on my file. And I had several file boxes of documents, and so they they relied on my file. It was all they had.
1: Jen to the rescue again. <laughs> so um if folks want to get a hold of you, Jen, what, what's the best way to to reach out to you?
2: Our website is barefootpi.com. That's mm-hmm. might be the quickest. We have a really easy number, 704 377
1: 1000 There you go. Well, thank you again. And, uh, I know we'll, we'll have you back on again to do title nine. some point.
2: absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Always enjoyed being with you, Matt. Thanks.
1: The co-host here is, is, is gonna, gonna be warm for you.
2: <laughs> we <laughs> you can know, do it.
1: We can totally we can do, do it. it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in and, uh, tune in next week for, for another episode. And, uh, I appreciate the support for everybody and, uh, uh, I'm going to say like real quickly, I, I got I to gotta say one thing. So I, I was out in Vegas, right? Uh, and uh, I was hanging out at, with a bunch of people and there was some guy that was at some other event that wasn't even at the event that I was at, that just came up to me and was like, you're the PI perspectives guy. And I was like, oh my God. Like somebody, nice. Yeah. So uh, yeah, shout out. to That's that very cool. <laughs> that was very cool. Thank you everyone for supporting and, um, you know, tuning into the show and just, uh, just doing all this and we'll, we'll catch uh, everybody next week on the next show.
0: Thank you, Jan. She's always a great guest and has so much great information. These cases are very impactful, if done properly. We'd also like to thank Crosstracks, IRB, PI Institute for Education, Satellite Investigations, and our new sponsor, RedlineForensic.Studio. Now, have you thought about joining Investigator's Toolbox? Now's the time to get on board and join the fastest growing digital community for investigative professionals. Use code PIP201836 to save 10% on membership when you join. If you have a question or a comment about the show, email Matt at MatthewS at SatellitePI.com. You can also find him on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd like your feedback to bring you the best shows possible. And we'll be back next week with a new show, so make sure you tune in and stay safe out there.